Would you stand with me? You will note in your Bibles that uh, it probably says something about the fact that Psalm 107 begins the fifth book in the psalm. So Psalm 107 through 150 are all a part of book five within the psalms. But we're going to be looking at Psalm 107 this evening. And uh, let's go ahead and read, rather than the entire psalm, the 43 verses, uh, let's read verses 1 through 9, then we'll get in the te- into the teaching and we'll read the other uh, um, verses as we come to them. Psalm 107, beginning of verse 1, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And Father, as we look into this psalm, this psalm of thanksgiving, we pray, Lord, that as we read these words, that your Holy Spirit will just place them into our hearts, to write your word upon the tablets of our hearts. And Lord, might we leave from this place tonight just thinking about your goodness, the way that you have worked in our lives, the things that we have to be so thankful to you for. God, be praised, honored, and glorified during this time, in this place, and in our hearts. For we just love you, we thank you, And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Psalm 107, a a, a psalm of thanksgiving, as I mentioned in the prayer. Um, This is a psalm that uh, I have on a few occasions, I'm sure. I remember doing it. Well, it's been a few times I've done it. Uh, When we gather together on Thanksgiving morning. By the way, we're going to be doing that again this year next month on Thanksgiving Day in the morning at 9 o'clock, coming together to uh, uh, worship the Lord, to hear from one another as we share about the things that we are thankful for that God has done for us, and and, uh, celebrating communion at the end of that time as well. But uh, I've shared uh, uh, at least a couple times from Psalm 107 because it is a psalm of thanksgiving uh, on those occasions. Uh, but certainly, as we, as, we be, as we see in the beginning verse, the very first verse, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, we don't know who wrote this. There is no inscription that speaks about an, an author of this psalm. But we will see in this psalm that uh, being a thanksgiving psalm, it is 
intended for the redeemed. So we see there in that second verse, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So this is directed to all the redeemed of the Lord, all who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And of course, that, that speaks of the church today, of course. At that time, it was speaking of those citizens of Israel, those of God's family at that point in time who were, who were Jews, but all who have been redeemed. And we're, go- we're going to see that there are, s- there are several different categories uh, of um, those that God is speaking to in regard to the way that um, he has ministered to them. We're going to see in, in these first three verses uh, that it is for the redeemed who've been gathered from their captivity. In verses four through nine, uh, this is for the redeemed who have been lost in the desert. In verses 10 to 16, for the redeemed who have been prisoners in bondage. Uh, in verses 17 to 22, for the redeemed who have been sick. Uh, verses 23 to 32, for the redeemed who have been uh, uh, sailors tossed in the stormy winds. We're going to see in verse 33 to 42 uh, that the judgment of God comes upon the rebellious, but his mercies go to those who are afflicted. And then in verse 43, it's a statement that the wise will see these things and give honor and praise to him. They will understand what these things are all about, especially understanding the incredible mercy of God. And so we see it uh, basically structured in that way. Because we do see there in that third verse a mention of those who have been gathered out of the lands, it does seem that this psalm was written after the captivity in Babylon, after they had been gathered back to Israel. So it could very well have been written uh, during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, for example, after they came back to the land uh, of of Israel. One thing to take note of, and and even as we read those verses 1 through 8, I would like to take your or bring your attention to verse 6 which says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Now look over at verse um, 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. A repetition of that verse, of that phrase there in, in, of course, verse 6 and 13, as we just read. Also verse 19 and verse 28. So as as the as as the Lord hears the cries, or as the uh, as God's people um, are going through various difficulties of whatever sort it may be, and I highlighted four different things, uh, four or five different things that they go through, whether they're in captivity or lost in the desert, desert prisoners or whatever it may be, you know, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. So the, the psalm is, is about giving thanks to God for the way that he delivers us after we cry out to him in the midst of trouble. Whether it was the people of Israel in that day in the Old Testament, prior to this, of course, from the perspective of the writer of this psalm, whoever it may be, 
or for us today as he does deliver us, as he has delivered us in various ways. But also see verse 8, which we just read. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then verse 15. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then we see that again in verse 21 and then 31. So four times each of those verses is repeated as the writer goes over some things that, that the people of God have experienced, some difficulties of some kind. Then they cry out to the Lord in their distress and he delivers them. And then a couple verses after that, oh, that men would uh, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. So that's the way this psalm goes. You know, So there, there's four different times we see those things repeated in this psalm. And certainly... It is a, an inappropriate thing for every believer at any time, at any particular time. So let's go back to the beginning. Verses 1 through 3, once again. Again, I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, last week we saw that that very same verse, those very same words were given in the first verse. Out of Psalm 106.1, we pointed out then that it is also in Psalm 118, verse 1, as well as in verse 29 of Psalm 118, and then again in, in Psalm 136, in all 26 verses of that particular psalm. Oh, give thanks to, unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Do you guys know that God's mercy endures forever? You know, um, it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month, six weeks ago. I'm not sure how long ago it was that we were looking into the Psalms. And one of the, uh, I, I don't remember which one it was right, right off the top of my head. But recently, Psalm 103, 104, something like I think Psalm 103. It was Psalm 103. Yes, it was Psalm 103, which states that, that as far as the heavens above the earth, so is his mercy toward us. As, as high as the heavens above the earth, so is his mercy toward us. And that's an amazing thought. As I shared with you that night, and I don't remember the number that I came up with, but my thought was, okay, just I mean, a, as high as the heavens above the earth, you know, when... When David wrote that psalm, it was King David wrote Psalm 103, um, he had no idea, no understanding of the vastness of the universe, the vastness of the heavens like we do today because of, of the telescopes we've got flying around the earth, the Hubble telescopes. And there's a new one that was just launched a couple years ago, the James Webb uh, 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 Telescope. Uh, which is more powerful than the Hubble telescope. A and I, I shared with you that it did discover a, a galaxy that is, if I remember correctly, 3.6 billion light years away. 3.6 billion light years. 
and I remember the number I came up was something like 392,958, I don't remember what those six digits were. But then 18 zeros after that in terms of that's how many miles away. You know, s something septillion, something sextillion miles away. And I mean, th that's a number that we can't even conceive of. But that is a description of the mercy of God. Note, not only is that number something that's inconceivable to us, but the incredible amount of mercy that he shows to us is inconceivable as well. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his mercy toward us, right? We know a lot more about that because of all the technology today, 3,000 years after David wrote it. That's crazy. His mercy endures forever. He is good. All his acts of goodness toward us spring forth from his mercy, which spring forth from his love. And so these are just incredible things for us to think about. you know. And certainly every one of us in this room, assuming that everyone here has received Christ as Savior, if not, this would not apply to you. But certainly we have our greatest need met. If you've not received the Lord yet, I would pray that you would do so even tonight because you need the forgiveness of your sins. That's the greatest need that any human, human being has is forgiveness of sins, that we might be joined to God once again. It's the only way that can happen. The only way that that can happen. But all that to say, his mercy is incredibly deep. And so the redeemed of the Lord, redeemed because of that mercy, purchased back for him because of his mercy toward us, we should talk about that, the fact that his mercy does endure forever, that his mercy is great, that we have been redeemed. We are re the redeemed of the Lord, and the redeemed should talk about the redemption that we've experienced, the mercy that God has shown to us, right? We, ought to, we need to be talking about that to people around us, our family members, our, our friends, our co-workers, whomever it may be. You know, we, we need to be talking about that. It says here, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And here specifically we see gathered out of the lands from the east to the west and north and the south. That would seem to indicate those who have been taken into captivity in Babylon, in other areas. We know that, that uh, Babylon sent some of the Jewish people to some of the surrounding nations, not just simply in Babylon. But by this time, they had come back. You know, as they came back to their homeland, you know, we saw recently, well, recently, 75 years ago, Israel came back to their homeland, 1948. And of course, we're familiar with what's going on there, there now. You know, um, the spiritual um, separation between the Jews and um, the Arab nations has existed for thousands of years 
continues to exist even to this day. And we, un- we understand, I mean, the horrible things, you know, I mean, we, we talked about this Sunday. We prayed for Israel on Sunday. We need to continue to do so, of course. Um, but we're, we've been learning more in recent days about the horrific things that have been going on there. The hor- horrific things that these Hamas soldiers did to innocent men, women, and children, the elderly, and so forth. You know, it brings to mind the same things that ISIS was doing a few years ago in another part of the Middle East, you know. Um, horrific. Israel has declared war, and um, they're going to clean up Gaza. You know, and we need to be supportive of that, praying for it, praying for Israel, uh, praying for as little loss of life as possible, but at the same time, the complete extinction of Hamas. I think that's appropriate and right. Don't you guys? I mean, that, that's the right thing that, take, that has to take place. You know, war is ugly and it's horrible, but sometimes it's necessary. This is definitely a necessary war that needs to be waged. And we as Americans, we need to be siding with Israel. You know, uh, the Lord spoke to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, speaking about the fact that through him all nations will be blessed. And those who bless him, God will bless. Those who curse him, God will curse. We need to stay on the side of, of bringing blessings to Israel. Amen. And support them in all of this. So keep them in your prayers. But I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you that Israel will win this war. Not simply because they're the more powerful nation, which they are. They will win because they are God's people. And, you know, as we look at at, at, um, Ezekiel 38 and 39, that prophetic passage there that speaks about how how God is going to draw the nations from the north, Gog and Magog, down into Israel. He's going to put a hook in their jaw and draw them down. We're not at that place yet. So that means Israel is going to survive until that time when we see in those chapters how God delivers them from that nation from the north. Speaking of Russia, you know, we, we also know today how Russia and, and uh, Iran are, 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 are together, China as well, North Korea as well. You know, so looking at, I mean, now is not the time, the time to start talking about is this going to be the fulfillment of prophecy because we need to be concerned about all the human suffering that's go- taking place there around Gaza in the southern part of, of, of Israel in particular. Be praying for those people. Be praying for them. But it's going to be an interesting discussion as we see things develop. But right now, our hearts need to be turned in compassion toward those people. Amen? Be praying for them. Verse 4. The wandering in the wilderness we see described here in, in verses uh, uh, 4 and, and forward to that. And we see in verse 6, that verse that I highlighted, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them um, out of their distresses. You know, 
we see here in this passage that as he, as he, as the writer writes about their wandering in the wilderness, it, he writes that they found no city to dwell in. And certainly during the time after they had been delivered from Egypt, they were wandering in that wilderness for a 40 year period of time. You know, no place to stop. They were sojourners. They were just, just going in circles basically. You know, it took them 40 years to make an 11 day journey from Egypt to the promised land. But because of their heart and their attitude, their rebellion against God, that's what they wound up doing. You know, and the next generation was able to enter in under the leadership of Joshua, of course. Now, but no city to dwell in. We, we see uh, in uh, verse, uh, verse 7, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. We, we see in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, which says, The Lord, of course, speaking through Moses, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hew not wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verses that describe the reality that God is going to give them cities to dwell in that they didn't build, houses that they didn't fill, and, you know, uh, orchard that they didn't plant. All this stuff he's going to give to them. And it was just human nature after a short period of time to think that, well, we've done pretty well for ourselves, haven't we? In a situation like that, even though it is God himself who gives us the blessing of these things. And that's exactly what took place with the people of Israel. But they were warned through Moses to be careful not to do that. Take care, as, as we see there, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I mean, you guys will recall that even while they were wandering in the wilderness, they forgot that it was Yahweh, their God who delivered them from Egypt, they, they, they uh, made a golden calf and worshipped it, saying, our, our God who has delivered us out of Egypt. I, I mean, it, it is natural for, for us as sinful human beings to forget what God has done. To forget Him. And we get so easily distracted by the things of life. God help us not to get distracted in that way. And so, again, a central part of this psalm, as I've spoken before already, is the idea of the people of God, again, whether it is in 1500 B.C. with Moses, 1000 B.C. with David, 700 B.C. with the Babylonian captivity, uh, the time that the Jews were under the oppression of the Romans at the time of Jesus, us today, whatever, might we not forget, but it's all about, the psalm is all about 
us going through the problems of life in whatever our situation might be, crying out to him, him hearing us, delivering us, and then us giving him thanks and praise for the good work that he's done. That's what it's all about. So we could probably stop the study right now. And what we're going to do, we're just going to we're going to go ahead and finish uh, the other verses, of course. But that's what we see here. Again, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. What an amazing truth that is. He satisfies the longing soul. For those of you who may have had an appreciation for music in the 60s and hearing Mick Jagger sing, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, we know why he can't get any. He hasn't found the Lord. That's why we can. We have him. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. And guys, I just want to share something with you in regard to that. Make sure that you are able to get your private time with God on a regular basis, doing your devotions, seeking Him through the Word, hearing what He has to say, hearing these kinds of things that He says to you about what He does for you, and understanding that he alone can satisfy the longing soul. Our flesh and this world leading our flesh, preaching its lies to our flesh, we can begin to seek other things to get that longing satisfied. But it's only God who can do it. So let's keep focused on him. <coughs> Excuse me. Focus on him so that we will find only what he can give to us. But sometimes, guys, I, I believe that, that our enemy, this world, our enemy who is the um, God of this age, the God of this, this, this world, he gets us so busy with things that we simply don't have time to do that. And then we'll just complain about not having enough time. But you know, um, 20, it's always been 24 hours in a day. And as this was written, as other passages of Scripture are written in terms of the encouragement to be in the Word of God, you know, to, to seek after the Lord, to get that time with Him, you know, um, it's no different today. But admittedly, we live in a crazy world right now. So much going on. I mean, with the internet, the internet, and and uh, so much entertainment around us and all. You know, it's it's easy to get distracted. Let's get that time with him, and we will be able to find that satisfaction and the food for the soul that we need. Okay, verse ten. As soon as I get this on, here we go. Okay. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their hearts 
with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their, in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. It reminds us of a song that we sing. He breaks every chain, right? He breaks every chain. He cuts the bars in two. You know, his work toward us to free us from the different levels and different kinds of prisons that we may be in in this world. Generally speaking, for us today as Americans, it would be like a, a, a spiritual kind of a bondage of some kind. You know, maybe an addiction of some kind, drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be. You know, um, I mean, over the years, I, I, I've known countless people who have been freed from uh, alcohol or drugs by the Lord. I was just sharing this past Sunday for myself. I believe that he, he redeemed me and delivered me from, from gambling. You know, and, and it's, it can be different for all, all of us in this room, you know. As many people in this room, we might have different stories about the, the kinds of uh, afflictions or bondages or captivity that we had been in that the Lord released us from. But that's exactly what he does. But, but even as, as the, the writer here writes about these gates of bronze and the bars of iron and so forth, the, the imprisonment, you know, and so forth, you know, it seems that there's a literal prison that's a part of this as well. And certainly uh, the enemies uh, of, uh, of Israel came against them in that way as well. But we see here that he, he speaks about the fact, he writes about the fact that the reason was because, verse 11, they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And in many cases, that is why. But we also know that that wasn't always the case. Um, Joseph found himself in jail due to no fault of his own, right? On Sunday mornings, as we're going through the book of Acts, we see Paul uh, in captivity. Not because he did something wrong, but because he wants to preach the gospel. So that's not always the case that we see here. But as we understand that, the Lord is the one who frees us. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He wrote, the Lord breaks the strongest gates and bars when the time comes to set free his prisoners. And spiritually, the Lord Jesus has broken the most powerful of spiritual bonds and made us free indeed. Brass and iron are quickly consumed before the flame of Jesus' love. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us, neither shall the bars of the grave detain us. Beautiful, beautiful words written by C.H. Spurgeon. Continuing on, verse 17.
fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness for, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. We, we see the writer here speaking of those committing their sin, their iniquities, and so forth, their transgression, as we see in verse 17, speaking to them as fools, or, or uh, uh, referring to them as fools, I should say. You know, it's just simply a foolish thing to be disobedient to God. It's a wise thing to place yourself in subjection to him and obey him. That, that's, ba- that's what the scriptures say, say you know. It's, it's just wise to obey him. It's foolish not to. And yet, even the children of God will disobey, even deliberately so from time to time. But we see here that, that there are people who are, um, because they are afflicted, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, they come to a point of, it, it looks to me like, as verse, verse 18 speaks about the soul abhorred all manner of food, they drew near to the gates of, of death. You know, they, they, they didn't want to eat. It sounds like a kind of a depression kind of a thing could possibly set in because of the affliction experienced, which was due to their own sinfulness, yet that's where they were. With their um, co- coming to the, the point of, of death, you know, drawing near to the gates of death, as verse 18 says. Then they cried out to the Lord. You know, God bringing deliverance. God bringing deliverance to them. Even though the affliction that they were experiencing was rightfully and justly given to them because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion, because of their iniquity and their transgression and so forth, right? And that's what we find with the people who were taken into the Babylonian captivity. Even though they had for years, for generations, they had committed idolatry against their God. And this is the reason, their unfaithfulness in their idolatry against God This is the reason that God sent them into captivity. But God promised to bring them back. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? He knows the thoughts. He knows the plans that he has for us. As he's speaking to the Jewish people, for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. And in the context of that letter out of which that verse comes... Uh, the letter from Jeremiah to the people in Babylon, as, as Jeremiah still was in Jerusalem at the time, 
he wrote to them telling them God has spoken that it's going to be a 70-year captivity. So settle in, buy houses, find some good young men and women to marry off your, ki- your, your own daughters and sons to. But in 70 years, I'm going to bring them back. I mean, God is faithful even when we deserve, even when we're being chastised for good reason. He shows his mercy and delivers us. God is so good. You know, we as human beings don't do that. You know, it's our tendency as human beings to make the other person, whoever, whatever they've done against us, you know, we don't just get even. We want to get one up on them. You know, I mean, that's in our heart, naturally speaking. And if it's not in our hearts anymore, it's only because of the grace of God has overcome that. But let's, let's be careful because if we start backsliding, we get aro- away from the word of God, we get away from trusting in the Holy Spirit, you know, that, that sinful nature can come right back up and we start acting like we did before we even got saved. And it's like, where'd this come from? And it's like, well, we stopped pursuing him. That's what happened. So let's be careful about that. In regard to the affliction of sickness, again, quoting from Spurgeon, uh, he, he wrote, we may pray about our bodily pains and weaknesses, and we may look for answers too. When we have no appetite for meat, we may have an appetite for prayer. And that's certainly what would be necessary for us at that point in time. As this passage speaks about being or drawing near to the gates of death and you know, the healing that will come. And these are people who are deathly ill, deathly sick, for the reasons that we've stated already, but they're still sick. And God brought deliverance to them. There's a passage in Luke 17, verses 12 to, nine, to 19. This, this will be familiar to most of you. Then as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is very consistent with Scripture, the idea that any work that God will do for us springs forth from his mercy. Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Sometimes we think, we make our demands upon God. You have to, he doesn't have to do anything. It's only because of his mercy and his grace that we receive anything. Have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And then, of course, according to to, uh, um, Mosaic law, they had to go to the priest to get a certificate from the priest to say that they were actually cleansed, and then they could rejoin the culture once again. But that, that had to be done. That's why he said that. Verse 15, here in Luke 17, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. 
So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. One of them returned to Jesus to give thanks for him, to give thanks to him, to glorify him. And, and, and note here in, in this 15th verse, and the 16th actually, when it says that this, this uh, leper who was cleansed with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet. Whose feet? God's feet. God manifest in the flesh. Uh, one of those proof texts that we see in the New Testament that, yes, Jesus is referred to as God. Jesus is God. But only one of them returned to give thanks to him. And we need to be reminded, of course, that we must give thanks. We need to give thanks for the things that God has done. Continuing on, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy winds, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, and they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. As we give thanks to the Lord. You know, one of the things about this, this uh, repeated phrase, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, you know, that's written in such a way that it appears that that's not as common as we would think it should be. Oh, that men would do this, but they don't kind of a thing. That, that, that seems to be the way that this is written and, 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 and what is inferred here. We need to give thanks to God. He pours out his blessings on the just and the unjust alike. You know, and we who are the just, we who have been made just, made right with God through the blood of Christ, we certainly ought to be praising him and thanking him for his wonderful works that he does toward us. But those who don't know him do not give him thanks, not even acknowledging that the blessings they have come from him, not even acknowledging many times his existence. But here we see this picture of these sailors on this ship the storm comes, and the waves are huge. They, they are out of their wits, we're told, at their wits' end. Then they cry out to God, and he calms the storm. 
He hears their cry, and he answers. This is a common picture for us in the New Testament, or in the Bible, and we do see it in the New Testament. You know, Jesus with his disciples on, on the Sea of Galilee, and the wind comes up, and it begins to storm, and so forth. The waves are going like crazy. I, wa- I want to refer to John chapter 6, this particular uh, um, passage in which John deals with one of these occasions. This is when, we, when they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And look at verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Boy, that speaks something to our heart. When we are going through the storms of life, we need to make sure that we allow Jesus to take the helm. You know, there, there's a song from a few uh, years ago, Jesus Take the Wheel, you know. Same kind of a thing, you know. But there, there's this thing in, in, in the world. I mean, there, there are movies made. There are poems that are written about how we want to, you know, be the masters of our own destiny, you know, and, and so forth. We want to be the captain of our own ship, you know, so that we're in control and all. I mean, I'm so glad that so many years ago the Lord revealed himself to me so that I would give him the steering wheel, give him control of my life. I haven't always followed that as well as I should. None of us do, of course, but, you know, prayerfully we're getting better at it the longer we're going. But the point is that, as we, and, and, and here in this story, as, as these disciples received, willingly received Jesus into the boat, they were at the land. Immediately. I mean, they were in the middle of this stormy sea, the Sea of Galilee. They welcome him in. He steps inside, and they're already to the other side. You know, it's as good as done. As soon as you, as soon as I allow Jesus truly to be the captain of our ship, whatever good things he has for us, it's as good as done already because it's in that context that he provides them for us. Now, we, we do see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, um, a little bit different speaks of a storm, but not on the sea. But in those verses that Jesus is speaking, and this is near the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. We all go through storms of life. And it is living a life of faithful obedience to God, giving Him control, 
that causes our lives not to be destroyed by the storms that come. If we fail to do so, as we see in, in, in what Jesus says here, verse 26, a man who does not do that, he hears the sayings, he hears the word of God, but doesn't do them, then when the storm comes, his house is going to fall. It's like building your house on sand. No foundation. And it's just wiped out. So the picture is of a life, our lives, going through storms, having a foundation of God's word. Well, no, not the foundation is not God's word. It's obedience to God's word. Because those who built their house on the sand received the word also. They just didn't do it. Right? There's a difference. So it's not the word of God that is our foundation. It's, the, it's obedience to the word of God. It is looking to him as God, and because he is God, when he speaks to us, we take his words as from him, as from God. That makes them important, so we follow them. We're seeing him as God. That's the difference. If we don't obey them, we're not seeing him as God. So, we see those things as all a part of this. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs. Um, yeah, the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. Remember he referred to having a city earlier in the psalm. And so fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. In these verses 33 to 38, we see the way that God brings judgment, verses 33 and, 40, and 34, uh, on the rebellious, uh, he'll turn their springs into dryness. But for those, as we see here in verse 36, uh, or verse 35, uh, he turns the wilderness into pools of water, dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, those who have need, the hungry. He makes the, the dry land, the wilderness, into pools of water and, and, and springs. So that, we see in verse 37, the vineyards will, will flourish, will have a fruitful harvest, blesses them, they multiply greatly, and he doesn't let their cattle decrease. So he meets the needs of the hungry. And it is something that is common for us to see in the scriptures. God blessing those who have need among his people. Isaiah 41, verses 17 and 18, to the last part of verse 20, we see these words. The poor and needy seek water, but there's none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. 
I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Then verse 20 at the end, that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. That's the reason God does this so that all will know that he is God. He's the one that does these works. It can be done by no other. Verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on, on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness for there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock, and righteous, uh, the, the righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. When oppression comes, then he has the back of those who are being oppressed, and he pours contempt on the princes, on the rulers, on the leaders, those who have power that are bringing the oppression. That's what we see being said here. Um, and then he sets the poor in that high place. So we see him ministering to the hungry in the previous stanza, the poor here, and makes their families like a flock. In other words, he makes them his sheep, his own sheep, makes their families like a flock. Job 5.16 says, So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. We see that in verse 42. The righteous see this happen and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Um, sin, iniquity, weakness, evil and wickedness, they will have nothing to say when it comes time and they face their, their God, the God who made them. Their, their, their mouths are stopped. Injustice shuts her mouth. Psalm 63.11 says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall, shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. And then there's a New Testament passage that relates to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Look at this. Peter writing says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works that they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. They'll no longer be able to speak of us as evildoers, but they're going to glorify God be because of the good works that they witness." Of course, the good works that they witness us doing really are the works of God that he does through us, right? It's his work. So again, his good works are being seen, and those who are against God just basically have to shut their mouth. I, I, I believe when every human being, every one of us, when we come face to face with our maker, whether we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus or not, I think there's going to be in that first moment when we see him, it's going to be an incredible aha experience. We do know him. We have relationship with him. But we, we I, I've been um, quoting this passage out of 1 Corinthians 13 
uh, often lately. You know, we now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. You know, it's like as I will get there, we'll see him and, and we'll say, boy, I knew that you were righteous. I knew that you were holy. I knew that you were majestic. I knew you were glorious. But my goodness, I didn't think it was like this. And it's like, we'll, we'll have nothing to say. And those who have worked against him all their lives, not believing in him, even oppressing those who do and all that. Those who would say, you know what, when I, when, when I come face with face to face with God, I got a few questions for him or whatever. There will be no question. It's going to be, oh, I didn't realize this. There will be no need for questions because they will see in his holiness and righteousness all has been done perfectly justice, even their own condemnation. They'll see that. I believe that strongly. Finally, verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Very simple statement in which the psalmist writes that the people who observe these truths in life, how God operates, how God functions, how he blesses his people, how he hears their cries and gives answer and brings deliverance. How men ought to just praise the Lord. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord, right? All the, when they see all this, then, and by the way, it's the wise who will observe it. Those who are fools won't. But the wise, when they observe it, they will have understanding of the loving kindness of the Lord. They'll have understanding of the mercy of the Lord. Loving kindness, mercy, same Hebrew word. So it's when we watch and see God working according to his love and mercy toward his people, answering their prayers and so forth, then we'll have an understanding of his mercy. And certainly when he receives that mercy, when his works are done for us, certainly we're very acquainted with his mercy. And might we thank God always for what he has done. And Father, we pray that as we thank you, that, that our attitudes always will be looking to you, understanding that it's only according to your mercy that we have anything. According to your mercy, you work those good works on our behalf. And all we can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for all that you are, everything that you've done. And God, we look forward to experiencing more of your goodness as we walk in this life. And especially, Lord, when we, we come to that time when we come face to face with you. When you will say to us, those who serve you, those who love, those of us who love you, will say to us, good and faithful servant, come into to the joys of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, for that. We ask that you just have the word of our hearts now. And as we 
sing this last song to you. Might we sing it from hearts that are thankful to you for all that you've done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.